0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. and just want to read a couple of verses at this time. 14, 15, and 16, the last three verses of Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. I know it's pretty warm, but if somebody could maybe just close that uh, door there just a moment uh, because the noise will start to carry up the stairs in a moment or two when they all get active down there has arranged all kinds of good things for them, so we're pleased about that. The priesthood of Christ is something uh, that is very, very important and something that many Christians uh, don't give much credit to. Christ's high priestly role is of great relevance and importance to every believer today. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three uh, great offices, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And for centuries, the priest was the intermediary between God and men. Men would bring their sacrifices to the priest who would offer their sacrifices up to God. That was the system. That was the way. That's how it was. And then the king, he was the civil ruler. And he was not allowed to in any way do any priestly work. There was a great separation between those two offices. In fact, at one time, King Saul, in his impatience, the prophet Samuel had said he was going to meet him at a certain time and a certain day, and their sacrifices would be made, obviously, by a priest. But Saul, in his impatience and in his arrogance would not wait because Samuel was one day late. And he decided that he would enter into the priestly office and make sacrifices. And for that, among other things, he lost his kingdom. Then King Uzziah, uh, who was a great king, until he became very, very strong and mighty, and he became puffed up with pride. And he too thought he could take upon himself to go into the temple of God with a burning incense And 80 priests ran to him and said, don't do this. You're not allowed to do this. This is wrong before God. God will not be pleased. And anger rose up in his heart. And as anger rose up in his heart, leprosy rose up in his forehead. And he was a leper till the day he died. And so there was an office of priest and an office of king, and the two was not to mix. The prophet was God's spokesman. And the prophet was more of a forth teller than a foreteller. Now, obviously, there was times when they prophesied and they foretold, but generally, they were forth tellers. They spoke very strongly and clearly to the king and those who were in authority. A priest was one who stood before God on behalf of men, but a prophet was one who stood before men on behalf of God. The priest was the one who spoke to God about men. The prophet was the one who spoke to men about God. The Lord Jesus Christ uniquely fulfilled all these three roles. And in his day on earth, he was, in effect, a prophet. He was speaking to men on behalf of God. And he was telling what God was like, and he showed the glory of God and the power of God. And then when he returns back to this earth, which won't be very long from now, he is coming, and he's coming soon. And when he comes, he will come as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says the nations of the earth and the kings of the earth will pay tribute to him. But right now, at this very moment, he sits at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest. That is the role of Christ Jesus today. And it is there as our great high priest that he intercedes for us, behalf of us, as our representative before the Father's throne. This is a great truth for us to realize and to grasp. Because this vital, unique ministry of Jesus being our great high priest, that's the role that he will continuously fulfill until he returns to earth as king of kings and Lord of Lords. So why is this in truth important for us to grasp? Why is Christ uniquely suited for such a role as this? Why is the writer to the Hebrews, why is he stressing this particular ministry of Christ to them at that time? Well, firstly he's writing to Hebrew Christians. And these are second generation Christians. Christians. And these are believers who are right now at this point in Scripture are coming under tremendous pressure uh, and persecution. Things are difficult for them, but not as bad as it was for the first generation because in Hebrews 12, 14 it says, you have not yet resisted unto blood. But things are pretty bad. They're being ridiculed, they're being reproached. Some of it, even because of the pressure have stopped coming to church altogether. And so the writer of the Hebrews warns them don't be like those who have forsaken the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Some were in great danger of forgetting all that their forefathers had told them in the faith. Some were being seduced by false teachers who had crept in. Others were not growing spiritually. Uh, They were still like babies, still at the milk stage when they should have been at the strong meat stage. They should have been able to know the basics of the Bible, but they didn't. And so the writer of the Hebrews is warning them that they were in danger of going back to Judaism, back to the rituals, back to other formalities, back to the religion that they had grown up in that had done them no good. They were getting them nowhere until Christ came along. And so, they were supposed to be walking by faith, now not by sight. Following Jesus in the good times was easy, but now it's becoming much more difficult. Difficult at home among family and friends, difficult in their businesses, because they're being ostracized, difficulty with authorities, because they're being persecuted. So times were getting tough to be a Jewish Christian at this point. Most of the early generation, first generation of Christians, had, most of them had gone. And so now, as it were, they're going to have to stand on their own two spiritual feet. And as we can see, the writer says, they're still at the baby stage when they should have been at the full-grown stage. So things were difficult. And one of the difficulties they were facing was this, that, you see, every day they could see what they had come from, and they could see the priests And they could see the sacrifices being taken to the priests, them offering up on their behalf. They could see that. They could see the the great temple, the magnificence of the temple, how ornate it was and how beautiful it was. And they could see how the, the priests were dressed, and especially how the high priest was dressed. With these beautiful robes, with the bells and pomegranates around the, the frill at the bottom, with the great ephod and, and with the, the wonderful gemstones on his breastplate and on his shoulders, and the, and the great mitre on his head, and the golden sash around his girdle, and all of these things they could see, and they were, they were concrete. Uh, they were material. They could see that. Uh, and all the rituals were going on around them that they had come out of, but now they were expected to walk by faith, not by sight. They didn't have that anymore. They could see a high priest, but they couldn't see Jesus who was their high priest because he was in heaven. And so they were struggling with all of this. And the temptation was to go back into that. So the writer here is trying to show them the importance of Jesus is now our high priest. He's in heaven interceding for us. And he spends several chapters talking about that one thing, by the way. So it's very, very important. And so for them... All of that was tangible, what they could see. It was concrete. So there was no walking by faith required in that. All they had to do was complete the rituals every year, and that did them then to start for the next year, and then next year, do the same rituals all over again, over and over and over again. But that day was over. God was finished with that. A new day had come. Christ had come as Savior and Lord. And now he's gone back into heaven as high priest. One day he'll come back as king of kings. Hallelujah. So now the Hebrew writer here reminds them of the failure and weaknesses of that old system and the wonder of the new covenant, the new testament in Christ's blood. This new role that Christ has as the great high priest for them. And so they struggled with this. Because after all, Jesus on earth carried out no priestly role. He didn't wear any priestly garments. He never officiated any of the twice-daily sacrifices. He never had gone into the holiest of holies. He never wore the attire of the high priest. In fact, to be a high priest, you had to come from the family of Aaron, Moses' brother. You had to be in that lineage to be a high priest. Nobody else could be a high priest unless you come from the family of Aaron down through the generations. You had to belong to the tribe of Levi. Well, Jesus belonged to the tribe of Judah. (laughs) And his lineage came from King David. And so you can see how there's a struggle here. How could he be our great high priest? Because we know as Jews, we know that only those who came from the lineage of Aaron... The high priest. Only his family could actually be a high priest. You you see how when Jesus was on earth, you see how the, the religious people mocked him? And he says, we know who you are. You're the son of that carpenter, Joseph. You have no priestly role among us. You're just the son of a lowly carpenter and an illegitimate one at that. No illegitimate son ever could be a high priest, by the way. And you couldn't come from such a lowly tradition as a carpenter. And so there was a struggle in their minds. How how can this be? Now, of course, if they had to be more knowledgeable of the scriptures, then they would have understood. But remember, he's saying that you're still babies. (laughs) You're still on the milk. You should be on the word. You should be on the meat of the word. He say, well, David, what has that got to do with me this morning? I'm not Jewish. I didn't come from a background of Judaism with its Old Testament ceremonies and its rituals. What relevance has any of this got to do with me today? Why is my understanding of Christ, the perfect high priest, so important for me? Why is that? I'm living in the 21st century, not the first century. Well, actually, it's very important for us. If we have no idea why Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father today ministering on our behalf then we too are in danger when hard times come of caving in just the way these Hebrew Christians were. The writer said, look, I know things are tough. You're going through a difficult period. It's not easy to be a Christian today as a Jew. But remember, Jesus is our great high priest. I know you're looking over there, all that going on, all the ritual. But listen, God's finished with that. Now Jesus is the high priest. So get that into your head. Understand this. That's why he's there on your behalf. Now, if we don't understand why he's there and he's working on our behalf, when trouble comes and there seems to be no answer, and you're struggling to go through something, remember that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for you. He is our great high priest. And so to get them to begin to understand how Jesus came to be our great high priest, saying he didn't come from any tribe of Levi, he came from Judah, saying he didn't come from Aaron, he came from David, to get them to understand that, He mentions in Genesis 14 about a a priest king called Melchizedek. In Genesis 14, remember now that that Abraham and Lot, Lot's actually living in Sodom. Uh, Abraham's just a little way out away from it in the hill country and how that four different kings made a federation to come against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they did that, and defeated them, and stole lots of things from them, including Lot. They took Lot captive. And whenever the word came back to Abraham about his relative Lot was taken captive, Abraham gathered up over 300 of his best fighting men, and he went after those kings... And he defeated them and brought back the goods that they had stolen. And of course, the king of Sodom was delighted. He was thrilled to get his stuff back. And, and, and he made an offer to Abraham to, to take some goods. And Abraham says, No, I'm not take anything from you, lest people say that the king of Sodom made Abraham rich. God's made me rich. I don't need your stuff. But he brought back Lot. And whenever he came back from winning that battle, he met this priest king Melchizedek and whenever he met him Abraham gave a tenth of everything he had brought back he gave it to Melchizedek he gave a tithe of what he possessed by the way tithing is not my subject today but for those of you who may think that was only a thing in the law it started hundreds of years before the law that's where it started and it continued through the law to this very day Now, in Psalm 110, verse 4, the psalmist looks back to this mysterious king, priest, Melchizedek, and said he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the Hebrew writer, he picks up on this. And in Hebrews chapter 7... In fact, just at the end of Hebrews 6, I should read a couple of verses. Verse 19 of Hebrews 6. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So you can see right away that the writer of the Hebrews is taking that Old Testament priest king as a type, as a kind of the Lord Jesus Christ and his priesthood. Are you still with me? All right. And so. For this Melchizedek, this is chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now that's a little bit strange, isn't it? But it's easily understood. Well, the writer here says he is without genealogy. Now there's no record of his genealogy, which generally they would be, you read the Old Testament, there's lots of genealogies. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, and they're all important. But his is left blank. Why? Because God was going to use him as a type of Jesus Christ. Now listen, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days or end of life. You say, well, hold on a minute. Jesus had an earthly father and mother. We know the day he was born. We know the day he died. But in his divinity, that's his humanity, but in his divinity, he's the eternal son of God. A son of man in his humanity. There was a day he was born, there was a day he died. But in his divinity, he was the eternal, and is, still is, the eternal son of God. So you see how the the writer here is incorporating all these thoughts into getting them to sense that Jesus is special. And then he goes on to talk about what happened in Genesis 14. And if we read on down then to verse 17, For he testifies, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a nulling of the former commandment because of its weaknesses and profitability. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the beginning of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So, In other words, the old is passing away, the new has come, and it's much, much better. And insomuch as he has not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests... For they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's? For this he did once for all when he opened, when he offered up himself. For law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected Hallelujah. forever. And so the writer here is getting them to understand: Hey, listen, forget about. The past. Forget about the rituals and the ceremonies and the priesthood and the priest. God is finished with that because now Jesus Christ has come, died upon that cross, suffered for our sins, became our Saviour, rose uh, triumphantly from the grave, then ascended on the 40th day into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father to be our great high priest. That's who we go through now today. Even when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name because he's our great high priest he's the one who intercedes on our behalf and so just a few things to mention the priesthood of Christ is a fact Hebrews 4:14 4, he has passed through the heavens. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Do you remember whenever the very first martyr Stephen was being stoned to death? Remember how he preached that great sermon? And the longer he preached, and the more he preached, and the more he head out against those religious hypocrites, the angrier they got to the point where they were gnashing their teeth, and they picked up stones and they began to stone them to death. And as they were doing that, Stephen looked up he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. That's his position, at the right hand of the Father. And he's still at the right hand of the Father. And he'll be there every hour of every single day until he returns, and he's there for a purpose. He's not there just having a seat beside the Father, showing his greatness. He's there to intercede for you, to pray for you, to help you. It's one that we can go to. The Bible talks about the throne of grace, where we get help in time of need. His priesthood is a fact. His priesthood is forever. Seven times in chapter 7 of Hebrews, it mentions about him being a priest forever. And words to that effect. Seven times. Seven's the perfect number in the Bible. His priesthood is forever. His priesthood is absolutely faultless. The Old Testament priest, we read it there, or before they could offer up a sacrifice, the high priest once a year offered up a sacrifice for the whole nation, for the sins of the whole nation. And he could only do this once a year and go into the holiest of holies. But before he could up, offer up a sacrifice for the whole nation, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself, for his own sins. Because he was a sinner like everybody else. But Jesus was absolutely sinless. He had no sin. He didn't have to offer up a sacrifice for himself. He himself was a sacrifice for us. He offered up himself as a sacrifice for us. And he could only do that on the basis that he was absolutely sinless and holy and righteous. Absolutely faultless. Hebrews 4.15, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin there is something in our fallen humanity that attracts us to sin but sin actually repelled Jesus he was repelled by it so you understand whenever Satan came against him in the wilderness to tempt him to sin how repelled he was at the very thought of that The fact that he had to take all of our sins upon himself on the cross, how repellent must that have been to the Son of God, the pure and the righteous and the holy Son of God? He absolutely despised it in every form. Remember how when Satan came to tempt him, he tempted in the same ways that he tempts us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. With Eve, the woman saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. She saw it was good for food, the lust of the flesh, a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. You shall be as God. Huh. Pride would enter in with that thought. Jesus in the temptations turned these stones into bread the lust of the flesh. Shows them all the kings of the world and says, bow down and worship me and you'll have them, the lust of the eyes. Takes them up to the pinnacle of the temple. Cast yourself down, the angels will catch you, the pride of life. It's the same principle that he comes against you and he comes against me. Not only was Christ's priesthood a fact, not only was it forever, not only was it faultless, But thank God it was with feeling. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities or weaknesses. He walked through this life. He took all that Satan threw at him, all that men threw at him. And at the end of it, he never fell. He never faltered. He never wavered. So he knows all about our trials and our temptations. He has faced them all and more. Hebrews 2, 17, 18. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a faithful and merciful high priest in all things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Are you tempted? Do you face a trial? We've got one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who faced the greatest trials that life could ever throw at him, who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. So it's important for us to remember who is at the right hand of the Father today. Romans 8, 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is he who, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Thank God. In Hebrews 4, the few scriptures we read just right at the beginning. Let me just remind you. 14, 15, 16. Saying then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus speaks of his humanity, Son of God, his deity. He's both man and God at the same time and will forever be man and God at the same time. He's so identified with us that for all eternity he will continually identify with us. He kept that human body. So let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He is, another scripture said, our mercy seat. He is our propitiation for sins. When you translate that, it means mercy seat. So He is our place of mercy and grace where we find help in time of need. Hebrews 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus every need we have he's aware of and wants to help us and strengthen us and bring us through and meet our needs Matthew 6 in the wonderful sermon on the mount over and over five times he tells us do not worry why do you worry over and over and over again. Look at the birds. Look at the fish. Not even Solomon. All of his glory was a ride like this. So why worry? What is worry going to do? it well, add a cubit to your stature? No. Don't worry. Have everything in control. In 2 Timothy 1 and 12, Paul says, I know whom I have believed, And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Thank you, Lord. Let us hold fast our confession. This is what he's saying here to these Hebrew Christians who were tempted to go back, to backslide, in other words. Don't give up when times get tough. Remember to walk by faith, not by sight, because Christ is our high priest. You can't see him. He's not here in earthly form. He's at the right hand of the Father. But believe that by faith, and then live that out. Pray to him. Talk to him. And finally, not only is this priesthood a fact, not only is it forever, not only is it faultless, not only is it with feeling, but thank God it is with forgiveness. Psalm 103:3, who forgives all our iniquities. Now that may not seem a big deal to us, but it's a big deal to God. God hates sin. Sin marred man who was made in God's image sin racks marriages sin destroys lives sin puts men into prison sin debases women sin abuses children sin murders, sin corrupts, sin blasphemes sin separates no wonder God hates it when Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus his friend he knew he was going to raise him from the dead why did he weep? Yes, he entered into their sorrow. But why did he? Because he saw what sin had done to humanity. Brought death. Every time you visit a graveyard, look around it. That's the result of death. James 1.15, sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. The late David Wilkerson had a statement. He says sin first fascinates, then it assassinates. Romans five and twelve, sin entered this word and death by sin. Romans six twenty-three, the wages of sin is death. Yes, our bodies dies because of sin. But when the Bible speaks of death, it's speaking of separation from God. Separation from God. Spiritual death. And many of us, for a long, many a year, were spiritually dead because we were separated from God. But whenever we received Christ as our Savior, then spiritual life came in. The life of God came in. And we were completely and utterly changed nothing to do with ourselves. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We just repented of our sins, turned to Christ, asked him to forgive us, and he forgave us, and he changed our life. Glory to God. But the biggest reason why God hates sin is because of what it cost his son to overcome it. It cost him his very life. It cost him a horrible, painful, wicked death upon a cross. And the father had to turn his back. So that Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think we'll ever get to the depth of that statement. That's what it cost Jesus. That's what it cost the Father. That's why he hates sin. That's why he wants to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and cause us to be born again of the Spirit. Listen, no pastor can save you. No minister can save you. No priest can save you. No one can save you. Only Jesus Christ. He's the only one because he's the only one died to pay that price for us. And right now he sits at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so believer today, you've got a great high priest. You've one who loves you. You've one who wants to bless you. You've one who sits at the right hand of the Father who prays for you. I've said this many times before. If somebody comes to you and you pour out your heart and they say to you, I'll be praying for you. And you know they really mean that. That pleases you, doesn't it? Somebody's praying for you. But imagine if Jesus says, I am praying for you. That's what he said to Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. I know you're going to fail, but I pray that your faith doesn't fail. And in the end, though Peter failed, his faith didn't fail in the end. It came good, because Jesus prayed for him. And he prays for us. And when the old enemy, the old devil, comes and accuses the believers, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He says, Father, that's my child. He believes in me. She trusts me. And he deals with it. If you're an unbeliever, Jesus went to that cross. He paid that price to save you. That you may be born again of his spirit. You don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. I couldn't earn it. It's a free gift of God. It's a free gift. All you have to do is receive the gift of God. As many as received him, to them give you the right to become the children of God. We repent, say, Lord, I'm sorry for living my life, my way. I turn away from that, and I turn to you. That's part repentance. I turn to you, and I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me and give me the strength to live for you every day, knowing now that he sits at the right hand of the Father for you, to intercede and to pray for you. You can do that today. You can actually do that today. No better place than here, no better time than now. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. It's the only time we've got. It's the only time we're guaranteed is right now. Will we pray? Let's pray. just right where you're sitting in your seat if you would want to ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior to come into your life cleanse you save your eternal soul and I want you to pray a simple prayer with me mean it from your heart and in effect you're saying Lord I'm going to turn away from my own life that I've been living for me I want to live for you and I want you to save my eternal soul Would you pray this with me? Lord God, I come to you right now and I thank you that you gave your son Jesus to die on that cross to save me from my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn away from them and I come to you And I ask, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you save my eternal soul today? I give you my life right now. I put myself into your hands. Give me the strength, give me the courage to live for you every day from this moment on. I ask this in Jesus' name amen. Lord, I thank you that your son is such a wonderful savior. I thank you for the change that he has made in my life and the lives of so many people. What grace, what love, what mercy is this that we should be called the sons of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for going to that cross, give your life for me. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to convict me and bring me to that place of repentance. And thank you, Father, for giving your son, for not holding anything back for us. We bless you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast.